0: If you don't know me, and I don't know everyone here, I'm trying to, but I don't know everyone. Uh, My name is Michael, I'm from the US. My wife and I moved to the UK 23 years ago. Haven't lost the accent at all. And uh, that's what people always say. They're like, you sound very American. I'm like, yes, because I am very American. (laughs) Um, but, uh, (laughs) But we moved here to work with young people. So we love teenagers. And so we, um, we work for this organization called Young Life, and we love to get to know uh, young people, 11 to 18 years old, especially ones who aren't in a church, who don't know anything about Jesus. We build relationships with them, and we get to share the gospel with them, and we absolutely love it. I've been on Young Life staff. This is my 27th year on Young Life staff, and I'm more excited about doing Young Life today than I was, than I've ever been. So it's awesome. So if you want to ever talk to me about Young Life and what we do, find me after this, because I'll happily talk to you about it. All right, so um, I want to do a little interactive bit at the beginning. Are you guys okay with being interactive a little bit? So when we take kids away in the summer, uh, we have this thing where we talk about stars and scars. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that term before. Stars are like, woo, great things that have happened in your life, and scars are things that are hard that have happened in your life. But the way we start by doing that is we get people to show their actual scars, like a scar on your body. You you guys with me on that? You don't understand what a scar is? Yes? So here's what I want you to do. You can't talk to your spouse. Oh, you'll be okay. You're adults. Find someone near you, and if you can show them your scar, Then show it to them. Now there's some scars that cannot be shown. We know that. You know, I have a, I had a hernia surgery years ago. That scar, no one can see, but Beth Ann. That's it. She's the only one that gets to see that scar. But if you can show your scar to the person near you, not your spouse, um, Johnny and Alex, um, then um, show them and tell them what what happened. How did you get that scar? And we want to find out. Who has the best scar story in the room? If you have the best scar story in the room, I'm gonna buy you a free coffee after church, okay? So I'm gonna give you uh, two minutes to find a person, show them your scar, go. Okay, all right, let's pull back together. All right, perfect, well done. You guys, that was good, well done. You went for it. You learn a lot about people hearing their scar stories, don't you? You're like, whoa. So, um. Before we find out who has the best story, I'll tell you mine. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I actually shaved my goatee off just for this morning. Did you guys notice that? I did. Because underneath my goatee was my scar. So you guys may not have even known that it was there, but I have a scar right here on my face that I've had since I was very young. And uh, over the years, um, as I got to know teenagers, they would always ask me, what, where'd you get that scar? You know. And of course, what you want it to be is some elaborate, amazing story. I was in a knife fight, and I saved this family's life. And... But it's not that. <clears throat> My little brother, when he was two, hit me in the face with a vacuum cleaner hose when I was three. <laughs> that, that doesn't impress anyone. That's not an odd and awesome story, but I had to have, I had to have, um, you know, stitches, and so I don't even remember life without this scar on my face. There's baby pictures of me before I had it, but they're in black and white. That's how old they are, right? So um, this, I've just always had it. So I, but I forget about it because I've been wearing a goatee for a long time, and so it's hidden and people don't notice it. But when I don't have the goatee, inevitably, when I meet someone, within a few minutes they'll ask me, how'd you get that scar? Now, what what we do with young people after we talk about our scars on the outside is then we say, what about scars that are on the inside, right? It leads right into that. This is normally about halfway through camp, and you've been hanging out with these young people, And you've been building a bridge with them, and they're ready to open up, and they're ready to kind of share a little bit more about their life and some of the hard things that have happened. Because here's the reality, okay? And if you're new to Forest Town Church, here's what you need to know. Everybody has scars, right? There's no perfect people in here, are there? We've all got stuff that we've been through, hurts, right? Right? Some of them happened when we were really, really young, like, like this scar, and some of them may have only happened this past month. But the reality is we've all got some internal scars. And, and, and some of those we're over with. We're like, that's fine. I've had that scar. It's all good. But some of these scars, some of these hurts, some of these things that have happened in our life, um, for some people in the room, maybe for a lot of people in the room, they're still resonating today. They're still painful today, right? That's just true for so many people. And, and, and here's what happens. As we get a, something happens, a relationship gets broken, a family gets broken, you know, whatever else it is that happens in your life. And then the enemy And there's an enemy who's real, who comes in, and he starts telling you, because of this scar, because of these incidents, here's what the enemy says. See, you're broken. And God can't use you. You're not good enough. You just need to stay over to the side and get out of the way. Because look, look, look what you've done. Look who you've hurt. We don't need you anymore. And these words and these things that come at us from the enemy can be debilitating, that can stop us from the things that we've been called to do, the things that God wants for us to experience and see and feel. And we allow sometimes, unfortunately, these scars to take over running our lives. I don't know if that's true for anybody in here, but it was certainly true for me many years ago, and I'm going to tell you about that in a little while. But the question for us today is if you're sitting there and you're going, that's me, Michael. You're talking about me. I feel sidelined. I feel like I'm so hurt. I don't know what to do with this. I feel like you know, maybe God doesn't want to use me or maybe he used to want to use me, but not so much anymore. I mean, you know, my, my marriage is broken and my kids don't want to talk to me and my best friend and I aren't talking anymore and I keep going back to old habits and I'm struggling. Maybe all, some of that's true and you just think God is done with me. And here I want to tell you today, the message today is God is not done with you. He's not. He's still got amazing things planned for you in your life. And and what God wants for you and I is, is to not linger in that, to stay in that place, but to be healed, to be reconciled, and to be restored. To be a part of the amazing thing that God is doing in the world. So last week, we, we leaned in and we talked about Easter, and it's so good. We need to talk about Easter every year, don't we? We need to be reminded of what God has done for us. Actually, we need it more than once a year. We need it all the time. We need it all the time to be reminded of how much God loves us. I mean, Easter, the picture of Easter is this amazing picture that says, I love you completely, right? That's what God is saying through Easter. I love you completely, absolutely, without question then after easter there's the resu- you know the resurrection what happens next and there's this beautiful amazing account that happens after the resurrection of god restoring someone who thought maybe god's done with me i've messed up so bad maybe i'm going to be on the sidelines so we're going to lean into this story today. This is found in John chapter 21. If you have a Bible on your phone or a real Bible, (laughs) paper Bible, you can look there. But let me give you some context, okay? This is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. There's four Gospels. Everybody know that? What are they? Four, Four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was written by an eyewitness named, guess what, Matthew. How about that? Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, and he wrote it to Jewish people. So he quotes from the Old Testament all the time in there. That was his audience, Jewish people. Mark was written by a guy named Mark, and um, he was writing to people in Rome who like the action section of movies. You guys don't know what I'm talking about? You go on Netflix and you're picking, you know, I want a comedy, I want a fantasy, I want action-adventure. Anybody action-adventure people? That's automatic. I don't even, rom-com, just move that out of the way. No, thank you. That's all Beth Ann wants is rom-com. And I'm like, come on, I want to see a sword fight. I want somebody's head to beat. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so uh, Mark is action-packed, shorter. Uh, Luke was written by a guy named Luke. Dr. Luke, for a person, did you guys know that? He was writing to Theopolis. And Theopolis' name means lover of God. But he was writing to a whole bunch of people as well. But he was doing a very specific, uh, he interviewed loads of people because he wanted to do a very specific chronological account of Jesus' life. And these are the synoptic gospels because they were written around the same time and they tell a lot of the same stories in them. John, this gospel we're leaning into, was written later, and it's more theological. It's not, he's not trying to do it in chronological order. He actually, um, the themes throughout John are from seven signs and seven I am's. So if you read the gospel of John, you're going to get a, a different take on Jesus, but it's powerful. But what he says in the gospel is, I'm writing this so that you will believe that you will believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He, he is doing this uh, um, as an evangelistic tool so the people will come to faith. That's John's, can you guys see what I'm doing? I'm holding a mic and opening a water bottle at the same time. That's not easy, people. <clears throat> so the resurrections happened, and before Jesus was resurrected, I didn't even know this until I was studying for today, but Jesus told the disciples you're going to see me in Galilee. Did you guys know that? I didn't even realize that. They were in Jerusalem when the resurrection happened, and he said, I'm going to see you in Galilee. And Galilee, where they would hang out, is 100 miles away. It's like walking from here to Birmingham. So he says, I'll see you up there. So it's going to take them three or four days to go to Galilee. Now, why? He's already seen them in Jerusalem. Why do they need to go all the way to Galilee? That's a long way to meet up again, right? Well, there's a reason. There's a very specific reason, and the reason is this, because Peter, his guy that he has chosen to be the leader of the disciples, Peter needs to be reminded that he was the one Jesus picked to lead the way. You see, what happened before the resurrection, if you guys remember this, is they're in the upper room, John chapter 13, and Jesus says, I'm going to I'm gonna have to die, and you guys are all going to run away. You're all going to fall away. And Peter stands up, and, if, and I love Peter. I don't know if you guys love Peter. Peter is loud. <laughs> he speaks before he thinks. You know, he's just, he just in your face. He's rough around the edges, but you just love him anyway, right? (laughs) Peter stands up in front of all the other disciples. He goes, Even if all of them fall away. It's like, Thanks for throwing us under the bus, Peter. Even if all of them fall away, even if Stuart gets out of here and Ed's gone, I'm not going anywhere. He just stands up and says, I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus says, no, no, you too. And he goes, I, he goes, forget it, Jesus. I will die with you. Boldly proclaims this in front of everybody. Right? A little bit of pride. A little bit of ego. A little bit of there is no way I can do this. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> I used to could do that, and that was wouldn't hurt, but so um, then what happens? Jesus says, actually, Peter, here's what's going to happen. Tonight, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Tonight. And Peter's like, no way, I will die. Peter's following Jesus, been arrested, and he's standing there, and not once not twice, but three times, someone comes up and says, you're with Jesus, right? You're with him. It's like, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. No, 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 not me. And on the third time, again, he says it, not me. I don't know who you're talking about. He hears the cock crow. And then he says he wept. He broke down and he wept. Why? Because he knew he had failed. And now he's thinking, I have denied Jesus. Is he going to deny me? Am I out? So Jesus is like, I got I to gotta restore this guy. So I'm going to take him back to where it all started. So the parallel of this story in John chapter 1 is amazing. Because in Luke chapter 5... Peter meets Jesus at this spot. Peter's out fishing at this spot, can't catch anything. And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. And he catches all kinds of fish. And then he falls before Jesus. And Jesus says, from now on, Peter, you're not going to catch fish anymore. You're going to catch men. Right? So Jesus is taking his disciples back to that very spot. Isn't that cool? I love that. That is so cool. So here's what happens. John chapter, John 21 says, After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee, same place, and revealed himself in this way, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples, Wouldn't you love to be the two others? And two others, thanks for not mentioning my name. (laughs) It's like, come on, John, just say who they are. Anyway, it just cracks me up. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Happens again three years later. They're out on their own, finding something familiar to do, waiting for Jesus to show up, trying to catch fish just like they did before. Nothing happens, right? Isn't this incredible what God does? What links God goes to to remind us of how much we need him and how much he is with us. It's so cool. And then it says this, Just as the day was breaking, I mean, they have fished all night, people. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. And then he said, just like he did in Luke 5, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and there you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, can I stop here real quick? John cracks me up. You guys know that this is John talking about himself? John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He had no problem believing God loved him, (laughs) right? And the disciple that God really loved like crazy more than anybody else, me, uh, that's what he's doing. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, and fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad. Aboard, And he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They already knew it was the Lord. And Jesus took the bread and he gave it to them and with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let me stop there for a second. Powerful, powerful scene, right? You're out fishing all night long, you can't catch anything, and then Jesus just simply says, Try the other side of the boat, and suddenly you, you catch 153 fish. Now, there's a lot of theories on why 153 some people believe it was the number of uh, types of fish there were in the world, or it was a number that, that, that indicated completeness. But here's the reality, right? Whatever the theory is, Jesus was communicating quite clearly, without me you can do nothing. But with me, look at what we're going to do. More than you can imagine. Right? By the way, this is an interactive sermon, so if you get excited to say praise the Lord or come on, you can do that. I love. The more interactive, the better. Just don't come up here and tackle me. But other than that, it's all good. So powerful, powerful reminder back where it started. It's happening again. There's this so such a cool bookend that John is giving us. And none of the other Gospels even have this account in it, by the way. This is the only one that does. And John is, is sharing this with us to show us the links that Jesus would go through. But then he does something really cool. Jesus then pulls Peter aside, right? He's going to talk to him, just the two of them. Everybody else is over to the side. And Peter's scared, right? Peter's, Peter's like, he's jumping in, and he wants to go see Jesus, but he's also a little nervous, like, what's going to happen? Is, is Jesus going to rebuke me? Is he going to be mad at me? Is he going to say, oh, by the way, Peter, you know that whole thing where you denied me? Yeah, sorry, we're putting you on the sides. I'm, I'm going to bring somebody else in, right? That's probably what he's thinking. He's probably feeling that right now, nervous, like what is about to happen? What's, what is Jesus going to say? And here's what Jesus doesn't do. You learn bunch, as much about somebody from what they don't do as what they do do, right? Jesus doesn't yell at him, does he? He doesn't say, man, I'm disappointed in you. You've let me down. You've ruined it all. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he looks at Peter. Here's what it says. He said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Here's what Jesus does. It's absolutely brilliant. Peter's thinking about what anybody else is thinking. He's thinking about his circumstances all around him, and Jesus just wants him to look at him. Just focus on me. Do you love me? See, Jesus doesn't ask Peter, doesn't have to tell Peter that he loves him because he already knows he does. He just gave his life for him. Right? But he looks at Peter and he says, do you love me more than all of this? More than the fish? More than your friends? More than all the stuff that's going on? Do you love me more than all of that? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, I'll read it. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he said, okay, then feed my lambs. Now, he could have stopped after one, right? He only needed to ask it once, but he asked it three times. Why? Because Peter had denied him three times. Jesus was all about getting to the bottom of things, right? He didn't have time to muck about, but he was going to do it completely. So he asked him a second time, Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he said, Tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, probably with tears in his eyes, right, probably with anguish in his heart, Lord, do you know everything? You know I love you. And Jesus simply said to him, feed my sheep. Um, I love baseball. I know this is a different subject. <laughs> Can't wait for 6 p.m. today. My team's on TV. Can't wait. Bad managers, if a pitcher gets put in and they do badly, there's bad managers or new managers will pull them quickly because they don't want the game to get out of hand. And what, what happens when they do that is it crushes the confidence of that pitcher, right? But a good manager, a good leader will get them right back out there because they want them to know, I believe in you. I'm gonna keep using you to close out games. I trust you. I know you're, gonna, you're not always gonna be perfect, but I'm gonna keep putting you out there right? That's what good managers do. That's what good leaders do. They believe in their people. They make sure their people know, I have your back. You're going to make some mistakes. That's okay. But I have picked you. This is what he's doing with Peter right now. What he's communicating to him as clear as a bell to Peter is, you're still the leader. You still got stuff to do. I'm not gonna be around much longer. I'm counting on you, my friend. I believe in you. How powerful is that? How good is that? He is restoring Peter. He is reminding him of what he has to do, and he's restoring me, saying, You're in. I know you made mistakes. That's gone now. We got stuff to do. I love you. I am with you. I've empowered you. I have gifted you. I have placed you and picked you and prayed for you. And you are the guy. Let's go. How do you think Peter felt in that moment? How would you have felt in that moment if you had been sitting there and Jesus was looking at you? I'd have felt pretty pumped up. I'd have felt believed in. I would have felt forgiven and restored. Right? That's what God wants all of us to feel you and me. Whatever has gone on before. You don't think God already knew that was going to happen? Yeah, He did. Whatever is happening right now, you don't think God already knew that was going to happen? Yes, he did. And he still picked you. And he still has plans for you today. My story, 10 years ago, <clears throat> I thought it was done in ministry. I thought it was over. Broken relationships, hurt, pain, painful. There were lots and lots of days I thought, can't do this anymore. This is too hard. By the way, as a missionary, most missionaries don't leave the field because they run out of money or because the people they're working with don't want them there anymore. Most missionaries leave the field, they go home, because their team breaks down and the relationships with their team breaks down. That's why most of them quit. And that's where I was at and it hurt. And I thought, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to get over this. And the reason I'm telling you this is because we had some people come along, some Christian men and women including a counselor, come along and help us to reconcile, to forgive, and to restore what had been broken. That's what God wants for us. He wants to make broken things better. I tell people I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. But guess what? In Christ, I'm being perfected. Amen. You're not perfect, but if you are in Christ, you are being perfected. Isn't that good to know? We need to know that. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. There's nobody in here who hasn't made some mistakes. But those mistakes don't cancel us out. God says, I picked you to do the thing he wants you to do. And he's still picking you. And he's still picking me. I was um, in the midst of that time going through restoration with some folks. I was speaking in a church. And I hadn't gotten up to speak yet. And I was only sharing for a few minutes about Young Life. And there was this little lady, about this tall Nigerian lady, who was preaching that morning. And I only remember that because rarely is someone shorter than me. So I was like, this is pretty cool. So I'm sitting where Johnny was sitting on the front, and um, she gets up to speak, and she says, I have a word from the Lord. We're like, cool. And then she walks over and stands in front of me, and she said, and it's for you, I mean, that's that's intimidating, isn't it? Like, wait, what? I don't know who you are. And she's standing in front of me. Sorry, Maddie. Maddie's back on, the, my daughter's back on the camera. She hates it when I move around. Like, Dad, stay in the middle. And she's standing in front of me. She's never seen me in her life. i never seen her in my life. And she says, I have word from the Lord for you. That's scary, isn't it? Can you imagine if I did that to you right now? You'd be like, what is he about to say? Here's what she said. She goes, the Lord has told me that you are to stay right where you are, doing exactly what you're doing. You're not to go anywhere. And then then she said, and he said he's going to raise up leaders in the north and the south and the east and the west from your ministry. You don't get to go anywhere. I was like. Holy macacholies. (laughs) So I had to abandon thoughts of going back to America so I could eat a lot of Chick-fil-A. That was out, and I had to stay. And that was hard. Staying was hard. And I knew it was going to be hard, but it was right. So... I'm just saying to you today, this is the word the Lord has given me for you today. Some of you need to hear this. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the Lord has said, I have called you to be right where you are right now. Stay. It'll be hard, but it'll be right. And ultimately, it will be good. Here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then at the end of my prayer, if you are sitting there today and you're going, I'm one of those people. I need somebody to help me get restored. I need somebody to come alongside me and help me heal, forgive, reconcile, forgive myself, forgive somebody else, whatever it is. We're going to have people up here who are going to be ready to pray with you, for you. And here's what I would say. Even if you don't get up today, even if that's just too hard for you today, find somebody. Don't try to do this on your own. Find somebody that you can sit with, that you trust, that you can share your heart with and say, right now, I feel like I'm on the side and God can't use me, but I want to get used. I want to live the life that God has for me, and just say to Him, can you help me get there? It's not easy, but it's good, and it's where we want to be, okay? So I'm going to pray, and then if you want prayer, there will be a team of people up here, prayer team people, whoever they are, and anybody else who wants to come up and pray for people, come and let us pray for you and support you, okay? Can we do that? All right, let me pray. Thank you, God, so much for the reminder that you are in the restoration business. You are in the second chance business. You are in the get to start over. Your mercies are new every morning business. Thank you that you've got something for all of us, that there's no one in this room that you don't want on your team. Everybody here is invited Everybody here is welcome. Everybody here is someone you love and you're excited about seeing their future play out in an amazing way. Everybody. No matter what has happened before today. So my prayer, God, our prayer, simple. Restore us. Help us heal. Help us be healthy and whole So that we can be a part of everything you're doing. So we can live the life that you have for us. So that we can love and care and grow with our friends and our families in this church. We need you. We need you to restore us. Pray this in your powerful name. Amen.